0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment
1: opportunities. So he is inclined to buy uh, out of favor oversold assets, but I suspect that he doesn't consider gold oversold enough relative to his need to own it.
0: Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to engage the show by emailing me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. And I appreciate many of the investment possibilities and that many have shared with me or suggestions for people to interview or questions about the sector in general. I'm incorporating some of the questions that I receive uh, from you, the listener, into some of these interviews that I do. Our guest today is Rick Rule. He is the president of Sprott U.S. Holdings. Rick, thank you again for coming on Mining Stock Education. I greatly appreciate it. As many in the investment arena have been following the the Berkshire virtual annual meeting and thinking about things that Warren Buffett shared at that meeting, I'm wondering, do you think that Warren Buffett might take some of that $137 billion of cash that he has on the sideline and put some of it into gold stocks in this this upcycle? I
1: think virtually no chance of that. Um, Mr. Buffett... Uh, is unique in that his skill set and the skill sets of his teams uh, allow him to buy big stakes in very high quality businesses, particularly during times of turmoil, and particularly businesses that have the ability to be uh, price makers, not price takers, which is to say that he handles the debasement of the currency in a different way than most of us are able to. The gold mining business is also a capital intensive business. He prefers capital light businesses and it's a very cyclical, very volatile business. Um, I'm tempted to say that Buffett is one of the few investors in the world that has no need of gold. Uh, Unfortunately, I have proven over 40 years not to be as good at investor as Mr. Buffett. Uh, So the circumstance that confronts him and the circumstance that confronts me are very different. Uh, I do need gold.
0: Buffett has said that he'd rather own a productive company rather than an unproductive metal that costs you something to store. Uh, If you were sitting down with him, would you try to convince him otherwise regarding that perspective?
1: No, I wouldn't. Um, As I say, Buffett's perspective is uh, so long term and he is so disciplined that I suspect he is well served. Uh, I suspect that most of the rest of us, the mortals, uh, are well served ignoring his invest, I- I- ignoring uh, that technique, because we don't have the attributes that he has. You'll notice interestingly that he has uh, most of that 138 billion dollars unspent too, mm-hmm. and I noticed that he did express some concern uh, about money printing. So it'll be useful to see what themes uh, he does deal with uh, in terms of spending that money. Uh, I, I'm i relatively certain that it won't be uh, in gold mining stocks. You may recall, I don't know if you're old enough to rec- recall this, but you may recall in the early part of the decade of the 90s, he bought a very large holding in physical silver, very mm-hmm. large relative to the silver mo- uh, the silver market, a rounding error for him. So he is inclined to buy uh, out of favor oversold assets, but I suspect that he doesn't consider gold oversold enough relative to his need to own it. And I, I, I suspect, and I'm really making this next part up, uh, I, I suspect that if we see uh, another liquidity squeeze, another seizure in equity markets, But what Buffett would like to do is the same kind of uh, heads I win, tails I win, private placement transactions that he was able to do in 2008 and 2009, where he takes uh, convertible preferred share issuances, sort of 10 or 12 billion dollars at a whack in big market dominating companies. Uh, none of which likely will be gold mining companies.
0: And I did see that he said that the Federal Reserve kind of ruined any current opportunities in March for him because companies that did inquire about funds then didn't come back to him after they were able to access funds at a a lower cost of capital because of the Federal Reserve's action.
1: (laughs) You know, Buffett has a reasonably low cost of capital, but the Federal Reserve has the lowest cost of capital of all, which is to say zero. Um, their actions, this quantitative easing, uh, is actively debasing uh, the whole currency. But it's been absolutely wild to see the Fed walk in the market. Uh, the display of power three weeks ago, when they walked into the junk bond market, obviously buying the indexes, was unbelievable. It's, um, it's truly astonishing to see a market where virtually every asset class is being supported by counterfeiting, uh, I, I'm not trying to say that there aren't some fine companies out there, and I'm not even trying to say that the U.S. economy isn't more willing, more, uh, pardon me, uh, robust than some people give it credit for. But the truth is that the liquidity that we're seeing across asset classes is due to counterfeit counterfeiting, quantitative easing. I've never seen a circumstance like this in my life, nor has Buffett. Uh, There is nobody in private capital markets worldwide that that can compete with Buffett, but Buffett himself uh, can't compete with the counterfeiter in chief.
0: Is there any significance for the average Joe investor like myself when we see Warren Buffett selling all of his airline positions? Is this him forecasting or communicating to the market that I don't see a strong economic rebound or is he saying I just don't see the airlines apart from the economy in general as being profitable moving forward in the
1: short term? This is the same time. This is the second time, pardon me, that Mr. Buffett has been sucked into the airlines because of their uh, peak of cycle margins. But the truth is that they're cyclical businesses, which he doesn't like. They grow very rapidly, and they're capital intensive and highly leveraged. But through the cycle, they have poor margins. He's made the same mistake twice. Uh, And I think that Buffett is finally figuring out that his attraction to their peak of cycle margins Uh, It probably doesn't stand a chance uh, against the other circumstances that negatively impact uh, airline investors. No one knows uh, how long it will be before people fly again. And nobody knows to what extent the opportunity to be interviewed by somebody like you uh, will how the opportunity to communicate this way uh, will reduce, perhaps permanently, business travel uh, and conference travel. The fact that the uh, airlines uh, are so volume sensitive uh, and, and so highly, highly, highly leveraged uh, makes the continued existence of many airlines somewhat questionable if the circumstance that uh, is in front of us with regards to the coronavirus extends for, say, 18 months. Uh, I'm no epidemiologist and I'm no virologist, so I have no idea how long this circumstance will be in front of us. So I don't know how long it will last. And I don't know uh, to what extent uh, people's habits, travel habits, post-virus will be uh, affected. Buffett, believes in taking advantage of probabilities. He likes circumstances. He understands that he can't predict things perfectly, but he likes a range of probabilities on his side. And I think he has rightly guessed that with regards to the airlines, that range of probabilities does not exist.
0: And especially with the social distancing like they're mandating in these restaurants that open, if you can only fill the airplane to half capacity, I don't see how you're gonna be profitable. Yeah, guaranteed loss. (laughs) We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Arcana Corporation is on the verge of bringing the world's highest-grade silver mine into production. The Revenue Virginius Mine in Colorado has proven improbable silver reserves grading nearly 37 ounces per ton silver, with an all-in-sustaining production cost of only US $8 per ounce of silver. The mine is fully permitted, with infrastructure already in place, and the company has announced they plan to commence production in 2020. Achieving successful production usually results in a significant up. Share price re rating on the LaSan curve. Arcana trades under the ticker AUN in Toronto and AUNFF in New York. To learn more, go to arcana.com. That's A U R C A N A.com. Reuters reported, Rick, in the last week that Scotiabank would uh, wind down its precious metals business by 2021. Obviously, um, you're one of the key leaders at Sprott. How does this affect your business and what should precious metals investors like myself take away from this?
1: Well, we were good clients of Scotia and I'm sorry to see Scotia's uh, precious metals desk go away. They provided high quality service. Um... You know, they were absolutely great dealers, and we relied a lot on Scotiabank's liquidity. Uh, I, I think it reflects two things. I think it reflects some mistake that the, mistakes that they made in their Mokata unit, uh, mistakes that were probably needless mistakes while they were focusing on the rest of the bank. But more importantly, I think it, 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 uh, uh, it, it goes to the lack of certain types of credit or the cost of that credit in credit markets. Uh, Credit is broadly available to Scotiabank for some types of activities, sovereign debt, uh, investment grade debt, uh, retail first mortgages, in some circumstances, retail second mortgages, and even some gamier credits like credit cards. But credit to support a trading desk, and trading desks operate on credit, is much less available and much more expensive. So I think the combination of reduced trading volumes, uh, mistakes made at the unit, uh, the size of the business relative to the size of Scotiabank's worldwide business, but importantly, both the cost and the availability of credit to commodities desks, Combined to force scotia out of the business My suspicion is that retail investors like you won't even feel them being gone uh, Unless you were a holder of scotia mokata physical certificates Uh, And if you were and are looking for a substitute, I would of course invite you to check out the sprout products
0: And I did interview your colleague, Peter Grosskopf recently, uh, and he did give us an update on uh, Sprout moving forward. But I'll ask you one question about Sprout Incorporated. What do you think will be the most profitable uh, subdivision of Sprout Incorporated in this bull market?
1: Uh, I, I think it'll shift. I, I, I think uh, for the next year, our physical precious metals business, which is growing very rapidly uh, and a, is a best-of-breed product for U.S. taxpayers, will be the most profitable product. When this bull market follows its predictable path uh, and uh, precious metals equities return to favor, I think that you'll see that our active equities management business, the uh, segregated managed accounts that we manage on behalf of high net worth individual investors and our mutual fund business uh, run by John Hathaway Uh, will become our profit leaders but don't forget that we're a merchant bank too we invest our own money in various transactions uh, and we are probably now the largest remaining project lender in the natural resource business the the margins on lending uh, aren't as great but it's a wonderful way to use all of the information in the franchise to deploy our capital and large institutional investors capital My suspicion is within 12 months, uh, every business unit within Sprott will be firing on all cylinders.
0: On the lending side of Sprott's business, I did catch a press release of a small iron ore company where you had to seize that project. (laughs) Is there any takeaways, not specific to the project, but any takeaways that you could share with us as mining speculators regarding this?
1: Well, the best the best takeaway is that in the type of lending we do, which is lending to non-investment grade credits, it's all about the collateral, um, all about the collateral. Many times lenders look at the borrower's market cap as though market cap were collateral. But market cap really reflects the narrative. It, per- it reflects the perception of the issuer. Mm-hmm. At the time we made the loan, Alderon probably had 200 million in market capitalization, and we were lending them a tenth of that. We liked the value of the collateral uh, and, and believed rightly that market cap wasn't collateral. Um, we had a sense that if we ended up having to take this project back, and by the way, this is something that we do with every single loan we make, uh, we had a, a sense of who strategically wanted to be and needed to be in the iron ore business in Atlantic Canada. Uh, We knew that this deposit wasn't the highest grade deposit in the world, but we also knew that it was in an established iron mining uh, province, that it had the support both of the Canadian government uh, and of regional governments in the region, and that it benefited from superb iron ore chemistry. So the... The sort of combination of all those lessons means that while we had the inconvenience uh, of having to foreclose on it, the inconvenience that we suffered relative to the inconvenience that the common shareholders who will lose everything suffered is very disproportionate and says a lot about being a lender. You know, in bear markets, Bill, if you look back at Sprott's uh, track record in lending, and the best way to measure that is the on-balance sheet activities of Sprott through the bear market that went from 2011 through 2019, the subset of borrowers that we were most active with could be best described as the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Resource Index. And that index on an equity basis lost a stunning 88% of value over nine years. At the same time that Sprott's lending activities on balance sheet generated 15% annual compound returns on capital employed. Uh, It is, if you know how to do it and you're disciplined, an extremely good business and will continue to be an extremely good business. In fact, it was responsible for Sprat being able to maintain uh, which it does today, a very generous dividend all through the lean times. So it's a wonderful business, and I think the Alderon transaction proves it.
0: And I have had some uh, listeners of this podcast emailing me say that they buy Sprout Incorporated uh, just and they look at it as a royalty company that pays uh, a consistent div- dividend, essentially.
1: Uh, it, it's an interesting uh, argument. Uh, one could one could suggest that the management fee income that we get from our fit precious metals. Physical precious metals products, is in fact a royalty. Uh, Although I would argue in some senses it's better than a royalty uh, in that it doesn't deplete. You know, if you buy a royalty on a gold mine uh, 10 years later, 10 joyous years perhaps, you have a hole in the ground where your gold used to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, 10 years from now, our gold will still be in the Royal Canadian Mint and we will still be receiving a management fee on it. Uh, It's very much like royalty income. The difference is that it's much more stable than even royalty income is.
0: The TSXV has lowered the financing down to a penny from five cents a share minimum. So does this just open the way for more garbage companies? What is your thought here?
1: Yes, it opens the way for more garbage companies. Okay. (laughs) Is that the only takeaway? (laughs) Listen, there will be some really good guys who made some mistakes and have to finance. And this will enable them to finance. The truth is, and we've said this before, Bill, mm-hmm. uh, there are probably fifteen or 1,600 junior listings worldwide, and there are probably 200 that are viable. Uh, it would be lovely if the rest of them went to listings heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would be lovely so that investors wouldn't be confused with the layman, the halt and the blind. And it would also be lovely because it costs maybe a million dollars a year to operate a junior company. Uh, And those superfluous, those thousand superfluous listings consume a billion dollars a year in general and administrative expense uh, that would be better spent in the ground. Uh, But that's enough of my pontificating. Uh, I've been talking about this for 15 years. One thing you can say for the junior issuers is that they're like mega cockroaches. You can't kill them. Uh, And this new rule uh, will uh, perpetuate that. And if you do
0: kill him, the management teams come back reincarnated
1: that's yeah that's right each each leg from the dead cockroach spawns a new cockroach <laughs> that's
0: right. well your friend Mayor Katusa last week came out with a very novel and uh, controversial teaching where he basically said that uh, mining speculators should not invest in a jurisdiction unless that country has an open swap line agreement with the US fed and without delving into all the intricacies of, of why he says that what would be your response to this general theory thesis.
1: Marin's a very smart guy, and he is a friend of mine. I think that was a great copy, but uh, I won't be following the advice. Uh, I make money on great deposits, and great deposits occur where they do, not as a consequence of uh, arrangements between central banks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I, what Marin is suggesting is that there will be political turmoil and hence economic turmoil in countries that don't have access to counterfeit us dollars from the fed. Uh, and well, that is doubtless true in the short term. In my life, I have made money in many, many rough countries by buying first quality management teams and first quality projects. To me, those are the most important determinants. The most money, in fact, that I have ever lost as a consequence of political risk, uh, real money uh, out of pocket was in the People's Republic of California, uh, which by... (laughs) He, you know, by any evidence, does have access to counterfeit currency, despite the fact that our governor is a Democrat and Trump is no particular friend of Democrats. Uh, but my, my suggestion is that the mining industry is fraught with risk uh, and political risk is a real risk, but it is lower on the risk scale than management competence uh, or geology. It's in third
0: Rick, a question I had come in within the last week from a listener was uh, if I could get some of my key guests to address when to move money from the big gold stocks that have seen a nice profit of recent into the juniors and when do you think the juniors will begin to outperform the
1: majors? Uh, For many of your listeners, uh, the ones who are casual investors and aren't prepared to work hard, the answer to that question is never. It is true that the Mining stock cycle follows a predictable pattern with the biggest and the best moving first and then money moving down the quality trail. But one of my pet instructions to people that have lives, that is to say, people who aren't immersed 24-7 in the junior market, is that the number of companies in your portfolio should be consistent with the number of hours per month that you're willing to spend researching your companies. So to the extent that you're willing to spend 10 hours a month, uh, I think that you can own 10 mid-tiers or juniors. That rule can be relaxed for the Wheatons and the Francos and the Barracks and the Agnicos, uh, the biggest and the best. So for many of your listeners, they should probably never go down the quality trail. One of the things uh, I've noticed, Bill, in support of this thesis, Which, by the way, uh, all of your listeners are going to ignore, but I'll say it anyway. (laughs) Uh, You'll recall in earlier interviews, I've referred to a, a chart, which I'll make available to your listeners, the Barron's Gold Mining Index chart. One of the amazing lessons looking at that chart is that in eight prior recoveries from oversold bottoms, the most tepid recovery, that is the smallest gain in the entire index was 160, 170%. The biggest gain was 1,200%. For most investors, I don't think it's a big sin to underperform the index a little bit by de-risking it. Let's say that you only made 150% in 18 months, or let's say that you, as opposed to making 400%, made 320% in two years or two and a half years. But you took all the operational risk out of attaining that sort of market beta. For many investors, that's a very, very appropriate strategy. For others, uh, I suspect that the uh, the, the timing strategy will have more to do with when they themselves have the time to put into stock selection. You will notice just last week and the week before that we started seeing many chunky financings for juniors that are development stage juniors. So certainly the big money is already beginning to move down market. That is to say the, the Black Rocks of the world and to some degree the Sprouts of the world is already beginning to move down market from the Franco's uh Primarily into companies that we consider to be takeover targets, which means good, high-quality companies with large assets, but companies that are selling at lower multiples to NAV and lower multiples to EBIT than the best of the best. We would expect that the next real move in the market will be to the takeover candidates. Uh, and then I, I think it'll, it, it'll move down market from there. So I think it's really an individualized question.
0: Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold-equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well-capitalized has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. Rick, at VRIC in January, you had a uh, teaching or lecture regarding how a speculator that can do private placement should at least be able to make a million dollars in this market. And then during our PDAC interview, when I interviewed you at the Sprott headquarters, you had mentioned to me that you must have a warrant in order for you to do a private placement. My question is, as the bull pre- the bull market, this upcycle in gold progresses, and the terms of the private placements become more favorable for the mining company, not the one giving the capital, do you still expect to always receive a warrant? And just in general, based on your experience, how do the private placement offerings begin to change as the gold cycle moves upward.
1: Certainly for U.S. retail investors, even high net worth investors, not getting the warrant takes away most of the advantage of the placement. Remember that you get back a piece of restricted stock. Mm -hmm. If you're Canadian, that restriction has a four-month hold. If you're American and don't know how to strip the legend from the back of the stock, it's a 12-month hold. The idea that you're in an eight-month disadvantage to institutional investors, Canadian retailers, and citizens of the free world like Singapore (laughs) and the Caymans means that you operate with an extraordinary disadvantage towards other investors. The principal way to offset that advantage is the warrant. So for most U.S. high net worth retail, no warrant, no placement. There are circumstances where uh, I and some other investors may participate in a private placement without getting a warrant because we want to buy 2 million or 3 million or 4 million or 5 million dollars worth of stock without moving the market or because we are putting up money to answer an unanswered question in other words there's some timing consideration but for those subscribers of yours who are accredited high net worth us retail Uh, Most of the incentive to participate in a private placement is gone without the warrant, while the disincentives remain large. The the whole sort of subject of private placements is one that's very individualized. And U.S. subscribers, in fact, even Canadian subscribers to private placements, should know uh, about the registration uh, and restriction language, the difference between will-sell restrictions and have sold restrictions, as an example. Uh, whether or not, if you're American, the issuer intends to become DTC eligible. The truth is that many of the newsletters who uh, owe some of their subscriber base to the uh, their ability to attract four subscribers uh, to private placements. Uh, need to do a better job of educating their subscribers. Uh, And many of the brokers who are active in private placements need to do a better job of structuring private placements and explaining to the issuers what is required to raise capital in the U.S. and explaining, too, to the investors What to look for, what the nuances are with regards to private placements and particularly with regards to private placements and restrictions.
0: This may be a nitty gritty question that won't apply to a lot of my listeners, but for a U.S. investor, I inquired of an overnight bought deal, and I'm in the U.S., and I was told that they're not even taking U.S. investors for an overnight bought deal do you know why I would have been told I couldn't even participate?
1: Yeah, it will cost the issuer another thirty or $35,000 probably to qualify the issue by Reg D in the United States. Uh, and the overnight bought deal uh, takes no time to clear. Uh, they are selling the deal all to qualified uh, institutional investors with overnight settlement. Uh, allowing U.S. high net worth retail to participate, first of all, is a more expensive undertaking, uh, but they also frequently take two to three weeks for uh, the retail retail investors to understand the private placement memorandums and letter agreements which have been circulated to them, fill them out, <laughs> fill them out correctly, <laughs> and then forward a check that cashes. So... Uh, companies that can avail themselves of overnight bought deals will do so. Remember that a bought deal, too, from the investment bank's perspective is bought, which is to say that the dealer itself buys the paper and then distributes it uh, to the customers. If uh, a dealer was to buy, say, $10 million worth of an overnight marketed deal, for distribution to its retail network uh, and then the market fell substantially uh, that dealer would be left with the paper in other words the risk of the market until the private placement transaction clears is felt by the dealer
0: that makes sense Rick, as we bring it to a close here, uh, I'm interested to hear what type of feedback you're getting from listeners of shows such as mine and what general inquiries are you getting uh, at Sprott and what are, what would be some of the key
1: takeaways for us? Well, one thing is that I guess because people don't have anything better to do, uh, investors are paying much more time uh, and attention on their speculations The quality of inquiries and the quality of questions that we've gotten in the last five or six weeks has been really, truly spectacular. We have tried, uh, really going back to uh, last September, to uh, educate people, to uh, have Sprout invest not so much in advertising, but in investor outreach and education. And while I think it's fair to say that we've taught a lot, we've learned a lot more. (laughs) Uh, And that's been Uh, extremely gratifying Uh, the ability to communicate directly with investors see what they own see why they own them see what their concerns are uh, see what motivates them Uh, it's it's given us really a a tremendous edge uh, on managing our relationship with high net worth investors Uh, It's also been interesting to see that uh, while the industry has thought for 10 years about how to reach younger investors uh, who weren't necessarily enamored with the gold narrative and never figured out how, through services like yours, the younger investors have figured out how to reach us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we're getting inquiries from places that we never knew how to reach out to. We're getting inquiries from Africa from Eastern Europe, certainly from Australasia, certainly from South Asia. The uh, interest among younger investors on a global basis has been very gratifying. And as I say, while we were wasting time trying to figure out how to reach them, uh, given that they were so much more technologically advanced and so much more inclined to getting distributed rather than top-down information off the web, They found us, which has been very gratifying.
0: And the way to find you, is it still rankings at sproutglobal.com?
1: There's a more efficient way now. Uh, If people uh, will email me, uh, the offer's still good. Email me their natural resource portfolios, all the companies. Importantly, names and symbols in email text, not as an attachment, which my security won't allow me to open. You can email that to sproutusa.com. Front slash rankings, sprotusa.com, front slash rankings. I will rank your portfolio companies one through 10. I will also send you the Barron's gold mining index chart that I talked about, 50 years of the gold mining index, and a hundred year commodity chart. Uh, The charts aren't so much for technical analysis, but rather to show you how early on we are in the gold equities bull market relative to historic recoveries. Uh, and how incredibly oversold commodities are relative to other asset classes. So once again, sproutusacom front slash rankings, names and symbols in the email text, please. And I will put that
0: link also in the show notes of this interview. So if you're listening on a podcast or on YouTube, just head down to the show notes and you can click the link right there. Rick, as always, I appreciate your time and thanks for coming on the show today to share your insights.
1: Well, I I always enjoy these, so uh, at any point in time where you think I might be useful to your listener base, please let me know.